I'd like to title this message this morning, Mind Your Own Conscience, Part 2. So as a quick recap from last week, we talked about uh, what it means, what it looks like to mind our own conscience. Paul, who's the author of this book of Romans, he makes two two categories of people. The weak Jewish Christians that tends to, that that has a tendency towards uh, judgmentalism. And then he has those that are strong, specifically the Gentile Christians, that tend um, to lean towards more of of an arrogance posture. The arrogance posture tends to look at it from the perspective of, you may think that you're superior or the uh, the Gentile Christians thought them as superior because they had stronger, quote-unquote, consciences versus the weak that um, had more of a, of a judgmental aspect to them. We talked about what the conscience is. That is that internal mechanism that gauges um, what you think to be right or wrong. And I use that deliberately, what you think to be right or wrong. And we should mind our own conscience because God is the ultimate judge. So instead, we should welcome one another in the spirit of unity. We also talked about what we call the humility framework. This humility framework um, is four words, absolutes, meaning that these are things that you have to believe in order to be a Christian. These things are absolutely true. The resurrection of Jesus, virgin of birth, God coming in the flesh, things like that. Then we talked about convictions, things that you are, from from, with your limited understanding of Scripture, you may be convicted by, but there could be some differences on. We talked about women in ministry being an example, baptism, and so on. We also talked about opinions, and everybody has an opinion, right? Um, Yes, everybody has an opinion. That's enough said on that. And then we talked about questions. Um, Nobody has arrived we all are on our spiritual journey, we're asking questions, right? So this is the humility framework that we, that we talked about. I also mentioned that the Bible has gray areas. There are black and white things, and these are things, there are also things that are, are in the gray that, depending on who you talk to, it may be uh, beneficial to agree on something for somebody, and then for others, it may not be, which we're going to talk more about that this morning. So this is a continuation from last week, and in the Church of Rome, it gave rise to different situations, different topics, what type of foods they can eat, what type of holy days, Jewish holy, holy days that they can celebrate, and even the idea of drinking, drinking wine. Um, today, we're going to attempt to give some practical steps, some practical resources on how to deal with people whose conscience are different. They may see things differently. And how we still can walk in love and humility with one another. So that's what we're going to try to do today. I'm going to try to set some practical steps that you can, that you can do, all right? Um, also mentioned last week that how your conscience can be uh, calibrated, how it could change from time to time. And I have a confession to make. I listened to a Tim McGraw song. (laughs) I listened to a Tim McGraw song, 
and I actually liked it. <laughs> so maybe it's true, your conscience can change. Another thing that happened that shifted my conscience a little bit is I actually went on a hike. Now listen, I told y'all black people don't hike. <laughs> However, this hike that I, I went on, I actually liked it. So again, your, your conscience can change, all right? With that said, our passage this morning starts with walking in love. Verses 13 through 16 has this idea of walking in love. I want to repeat this here because this is something that I think is really, really important. When Paul is talking about the faith here in this context, he's talking like this. Faith refers not directly to one's belief generally, but to one's opinions about what that faith allows him or her to do. I'm going to repeat that one more again because if you don't, I said this last week, if you don't understand this nuance, then you're not going to understand Romans 14, all right? Faith in this context refers not directly to one's belief generally, but to one's opinions about what that faith allows him or her to do. Weak does not mean lesser Christians, Okay? It doesn't mean you're, uh, there's a certain status of Christendom that you can be, like you're less than and other people should look at you as superior. That's not what Paul is saying. What he is saying is simply those who do not think they are free to do what the strong does, those who have stronger consciences. I like the idea of thinking as this definition. Thinking is not the decision itself. But it is the assessment, it is the consideration, it is the process of how you arrive to your conclusion. That definition comes from Alan Jacobs, who wrote a book called How to Think. And I think that's helpful as we think about the conscience because certain people think differently. They have different perspectives. And there's a consideration, there's an assessment, there's a process that they go through in order to arrive to their decisions. All right? They believe that their faith does not allow them to do certain things. Very, very key, very, very important, all right? Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of, of a brother or a sister for that matter. We should walk in love, not in a way to create obstacles, not in a way to create hurdles, not in a way to put a stumbling block over our brother and sister in the Lord. Y'all know what a stumbling block is, right? I actually was walking downtown recently, and as I was walking, I did not see this block, literally, that I tripped over and almost broke my ankle, right? This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, don't put that block in the way for your brother or sister to destroy their faith. There should be a posture of humility and love that we should have for one another when it comes to addressing certain issues. So walking in love doesn't mean that we put up a stumbling block in their way. It also means that we understand that there is freedom 
There is liberty in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk. Nothing is unclean in itself. The nature of something, Paul is saying, is not unclean in and of itself. Again, context here was talking about foods and things like that. Jesus himself even said in Mark chapter 7 that food in and of itself is okay. It's not necessarily what's external that's unclean. It's the internal. It's things that what comes out of us. Right? Bless you. It's the thing that comes out, uh, it comes from outside of, in, inside of us, out. That what makes it un, unclean. I love this verse here because I know, according to what Paul says, so he knows, but he's also persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks that is unclean. What is Paul saying here? It almost sounds like a contradiction, right? No, not a contradiction at all. He's saying if you believe something to be unclean, if you think that, it's not. But if you think that, then maybe it's unclean to you. And maybe you have good reason to believe that or to think that. So let's do a case study. First case study that, we wanted, that we're going to do today is case study with alcohol. Now, I'm not going to ask you all to raise your hand if you drink alcohol. But let's just take this because this was a situation in the Church of Rome. And perhaps maybe it's a situation um, for the church at large in, in America. So let's take alcohol. But before I say this, I want to caution here. And for some of you, you may hear this as a way to abuse the freedom that you have. You may hear me say, oh yeah, alcohol is okay, and that means you can go and get drunk. And I want to be very clear, that's not what I'm saying at all, all right? So don't hear this as a way, as a license to go out and do whatever, but hear this as a, as a posture of humility, but also what the Bible explains and what the Bible teaches, all right? Um, if you think about that college student that was in the home of their parents, and maybe their parents didn't do everything right, so they were, were um, you know, they had a lot of rules, if you will. In the first year of college, they're in university, they're in California, they're in New York, wherever they decided to go to school, and that first year they begin to start wilding out, doing all sorts of stuff that they shouldn't be doing, because they have all this freedom <laughs> that they have. It's kind of like somebody who was put, probably put in a straitjacket. And then when you take the straitjacket off, they just start going buck wild, right? So there's a balance here that I, I, I want to say. But let's use and talk about the case study of, of alcohol. To be very clear, there is liberty to consume an alcoholic beverage. You are free to do so if you're at the right age, okay? 
but we shouldn't let it destroy our brother or sister in the faith. So as one practical situation here, a question that I think that should be asked when you're debating or having a conversation that people differ from, I think a good question to ask is, is there a legitimate issue? Is there a legitimate issue? Here's what I mean. You can take somebody that has parents that maybe were alcoholics. Maybe they have family members that were alcoholics. Maybe they have seen the horrors of alcoholism to the point that the that the idea of thinking of an alcoholic beverage to them, it may be a legitimate stumbling block. It may be. Now, you have to be in relationship and community to really have this conversation and to talk. But you have to ask the question, is there a legitimate issue that they have? You know it's a legitimate issue if it causes them to stumble. That's the gauge. That's the barometer. If it doesn't cause them, cause them to stumble, then it's not a legitimate issue. So we cannot weaponize our conscience on other people. It has to be a legitimate issue. If you don't like alcohol, that's your thing. If you don't like it. But you can't use you not liking something to condemn somebody else. Does that make sense? You cannot weaponize your, your conscience. In this passage, Paul is addressing the stronger conscience people here, but he also has a word for those that may have a weaker conscience. Again, nothing in itself is, is unclean. Alcohol in and of itself is not unclean. Jesus turned water to wine, right? So we have to be very careful here because we cannot use our conscience as a weapon. And some of us tend to do that because we don't like something. It's not causing you to stumble. It's not causing you to be in sin. You just don't like it. So you project that on other people. The Bible says that's not right. Amen, somebody. Our posture here should be to promote unity and love for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. We should not quarrel over opinions because verses 17 through 23 explain the kingdom of God is much bigger. The kingdom of God is much bigger than these opinions, than these topics, than these arguments that we find ourselves in. Amen. What is the kingdom of God? Maybe some of you are not familiar with that terminology, with that phrase. The kingdom of God, I like the way that Dr. Tony Evans says it. He says, the kingdom of God is God's sovereign and comprehensive rule to advance the kingdom of gender. It's God's comprehensive rule over everything in all areas of life. Psalm 24, 1 says that everything belongs to God. In other words, he has the trademark on everything. 
This is his world, and we are his children, those who claim the name of, of Christ. And wherever we are at in society, the kingdom of God should be revealed. It should be manifested. It should be practiced. It should be embodied in such a way that people can see that and say, there's something unique over there. This is the comprehensive rule. God's people everywhere to advance his kingdom agenda. The Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and he says a lot of different things, but here's a rare occurrence of the kingdom of God. Other New Testament authors talk about the kingdom of God much more than Paul, but it is fascinating that in this context, he uses this phrase here when we're talking about the conscience. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that recently? When you're in a debate, when you're in an argument, and the person just says, you know what? Whatever we're arguing about, it's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is much bigger than that. Let me make it plain for you because here are some issues that I talked about last week. Things that some Christians may have some disputed matters over. And here's just a nice little thing I think you can do when you find yourself rallying up about a particular topic, you should ask the question, is this the kingdom of God? So you can say this. For us, we can say, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of alcohol and cigars. For the kingdom of of God. It's not a matter of, of, of yoga and education. When I say education, I know that that's a huge thing, particularly for parents. Specifically, should you homeschool your children? Or should you send them to public school or private school or charter school or Zoom school? It's a huge thing that we fight over and it doesn't have to be that way. We can have our perspective. We can have our reasoning. We can have our thinking, the process, the assessment, the consideration of what we went, what we thought about to, to make that decision. But we can all sit at the same table and say, oh, cool, you homeschool. Well, I'm curious, we'll make, what, what are the reasons that you do that? Oh, you do private school? Oh, you must got a lot of money. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of, of yoga and, and education. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of tattoos and the type of music you listen to. I don't think tattoos is that big of a thing nowadays, but maybe in earlier generations, it, I think it was. All right? It's not the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not movies and politics. Speaking of politics, um, 
I, I think out of all of the topics in disputable matters that is, that is here, I think for us at Roosevelt, this is probably the biggest one, if I'm going to be honest. Why? Because we have diverse people. When you have diverse people, that means you have diverse perspectives. When you have diverse perspectives, it means you have a diverse in who you vote for or why you don't vote for them, right? If we was a all predominantly uh, an all uh, one ethnicity church, maybe that this wouldn't be too much of an issue for us. But God has seen fit to bring us together, different people from different ethnic groups, different backgrounds, different cultures, but the same Jesus. And what that means is there's going to be a lot of diversity in this. All right? Um, I mentioned last week as well that there's no such thing as a, as a Christian vote. Because you're a Christian, the, the, the Republican Party is not the Christian vote. The Democratic Party is not the Christian vote either. Right? It's not. Nowhere in the Bible you're going to find that. So we shouldn't add on things <laughs> to make us more quote-unquote Christian. That's called works-based theology. And that is not the kingdom of God. I bring this up because the midterm elections are coming up soon. And we need to think through who to vote for for various parties and so on. And we would do well if we understand Romans 14. Now hear what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that you can't have conversations that you disagree with people. That's not what I'm saying. But there's a loving way, there's a gracious way, there's a humble way, there's a tone that reflects the character of Jesus that I think that we can do that in and do that better. And if we want to be honest, we haven't been the best at doing that. Amen? We haven't been the best at doing that. Maybe some of us individually, but as a whole, and as a church Christian culture as a whole, we definitely haven't been good at that. Politics are not the kingdom of God. God is Lord <laughs> over <laughs> politics. He's Lord over everything. We serve a God bigger than politics. And listen, to enter into the kingdom of God for people that may not be followers of Jesus to embrace the kingdom of God through faith and repentance, it means that you don't get too confused with the party lines. It means you center your hope and trust in Messiah Jesus. Through his death, his burial, and resurrection. If that's you this morning, my encouragement for you to believe, to embrace the kingdom the kingdom of salvation. That's what in Mark chapter 1, that's what Jesus said. This is the kingdom of God, and you can experience it and be a part of it through belief in, in, in Christ. So here are five ways that I think will help us practically 
disagree with people and have conversation. I already talked about one. One, we have to determine is there is it a legitimate issue, okay? Is it a legitimate issue? You know it's legitimate if it causes somebody to stumble. The second is, you should ask, where does it fall in the humility framework? Is it an absolute? Is it a conviction? Is it an opinion? Or is it a question that somebody has? Whatever the topic is, tattoos, voting, what have you, you do well to be able to just maybe ask that question and place it in the category. Now, some people have more absolutes in their category than maybe you, which is probably a problem. Some things don't hinge on salvation, but it's good to understand what category to put it in. To be in prayer. To be in prayer. The Bible talks about pray without ceasing. And I think last week, uh, the Friedman family who led our Linton family prayer, they did an amazing job in showing us how to pray, specifically how to pray for our enemies. Maybe who you're talking to and debating with, maybe that is your enemy. And you would do well to just be in prayer. I'm struck by how many times where I, I'm counseling somebody or I have a conversation with somebody, and I just ask them, how, have you been in prayer about this? And the answer is typically no. To have this unity of the spirit, we have to be in prayer. And I know it's hard, especially when it's somebody that we don't like or we disagree with, but we're still called by God to do that. So I would say be in prayer. Another thing is don't go against your conscience. If you are convicted and persuaded because you have a legitimate issue, going back to the alcohol thing, that drinking alcohol is, 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 is not for you, don't go against your conscience. We see this because, verse 23, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Don't go against your conscience. Stand on it. Humbly, graciously. But don't, don't go against your conscience if that's what it is. Face-to-face conversations versus keyboard conversations. Uh, A lot of us here got Twitter fingers. Uh, We say a lot of stuff that we probably wouldn't say to the person's face. But because we can hide behind a screen and hide behind a keyboard, we... We can say some stuff that, there was this one guy that I was talking with, and I know him, like, personally. I know his family. I know almost everything about him. And the way he was talking to me on social media, I was like, you wouldn't dare talk to me that way. Like, at all. But because we're so many miles away... There's distance. (laughs) Maybe he felt like he could. 
And I feel like a lot of us have that tendency. We can just start mouthing off. And it's like, that's not helpful at all. So let's have face-to-face conversations at the table together as brother and sister in the Lord so that we can come to some resolution. And maybe I can hear the different perspective. I think face-to-face conversations is essential. Not optional. I think, I, think, I think it's essential. I think that we need to actually do that. And the last thing is to be grace-motivated. Grace-motivated. In all of this, though, it's important for us, when we are having these conversations, I think we should listen to James 1.19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, but slow to speak. Many times that we have those reverse. We need to listen to what people are saying, whether we agree with them or we don't. And I think we would do well by this command from from James. So here are just some steps, some practical steps that you can write down, that you can think about as we relate to the conscience and as we relate to one another in this whole journey, in this whole shebang, okay? And I'll leave you with this. You can agree to disagree, and everything will still be okay. You don't have to agree on everything. God can handle it because he's a God that we can love and that we can trust in the spirit of humility, in the spirit of unity and humility. And the church said, amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we pray for us as a church, for us to to mine our own conscience, um, for us to relate to one another, whether we agree, whether we disagree. I pray that we can really take this principle of listening to one another, listening to your word, listening in community to help us in conversations that may be difficult, that may be trying, and that may be uh, exhausting. I pray that we can take these principles from Romans 14 and elsewhere in Scripture to help us in in our journey. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.